0: good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? It's good to see you as we get started here in the in-between of Thanksgiving and the most wonderful time of the year. Don't worry, I will not break out in song more than once today. So, my name is Josh. It's good to see you. If you're a guest or if you're joining us online for the first time, we are so glad that you are a part of our get together today as we celebrate the one for whom all things celebrate, and that's Jesus Christ. Today we're starting into this season called Advent. Advent is uh, comes from the Latin word adventus, which means coming, or the arrival of a noteworthy person, and we are about to celebrate the arrival of the most noteworthy person throughout human history. And so it's going to be a great few weeks. Now, let me give you just kind of a sneak peek of where we're going, then I need to make a little pause, and then we'll jump in. But here's the sneak peek. Throughout history, God has been laying the groundwork pointing to the arrival of Jesus in the birth narrative that we are about to celebrate in just a few weeks. And historically, churches and Christians have celebrated the four weeks leading up to Christmas as Advent, a time of preparation and being ready for the coming Of that great gift. And so, what we're going to do for the next four Sundays during this season is we're going to hopscotch through the Old Testament, four different moments that lead to the promised Messiah. But before we get there, I want to invite you all to take your next step as a family and fully invest in this season. I know there's a lot of stuff that's pulling at your time and your effort and your energy and focus, but we don't want to miss the most important thing for things that are less important. And one of the best ways that I know. And this is what we've been doing as a family for years is we have a daily reading that leads us up through this season. And if you want to do this, if you don't already have something you do as a family, I would encourage you to join us. Uh, Purchase this Bible. It is the Jesus Storybook Bible. By the way, show of hands, how many of you already own the Jesus Storybook Bible or use it? anyone in here? I see some hands here. Uh, What I love about this one is every story from Genesis to Revelation, this storybook Bible points out how that story points to Jesus, because everything in Scripture is ultimately about Jesus Christ. Can I get an oh yeah from anyone? It's all about him. So, starting on Tuesday, we're going to be going through the reading. I'm going to show this to you every week, so you don't want to miss it. Take a snapshot of this if you need, but Tuesday we'll read the first story that relates to it. Then the second, third, so and so forth. And these are the stories from the book. And we'll miss a few as we go through, but it'll give you the overall story leading up to Jesus. But here this morning, I want us to begin the adventure and this journey to Jesus' birth together by going all the way back almost to the beginning, picking up where we left off in our Genesis series. But we're going to begin now in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1 when God comes to an unsuspecting man and says, to you and through you, I'm going to change the world. And these are the words of our Lord to a man named Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country to your, from your people and your father's household to the land, I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, jump down to chapter 15. Flip a few pages. The story continues. It says, sometime later. Everybody say, later. Later. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. Uh, But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You've given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Pause there. How many of you this morning are hearing the promises of God, but you don't have a clue how he's going to come through? Anyone in here waiting on God to fulfill a promise that he has made? Anyone in here waiting for God to reconcile a broken relationship to bring home a child that you beg to God daily will be reunited with himself and his creator? Any of you in here this morning are begging God for the life of someone because of a health situation or you did beg and God did not answer it the way you thought he was supposed to? Anyone else feel the angst of this old man saying, God, I hear the promises, but I don't see how it's going to work? See, this is not merely an ancient story. This is a modern story about real people dealing with real questions about a real God and how he's going to do what he says he's going to do. How are you going to do this, God? And I love what God says to him. Verse 4, then the Lord said to Abram, no, your servant won't be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up in the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteousness because of his faith. Look into the sky and count the stars. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you, As we peer back in time to this ancient story, may we see a glimpse of how big your promise really is. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Stars. Christmas is always and seems to have always been about stars. Have you noticed this? Whether it's the star that leads the magi, the wise men, from their ancient home hundreds of miles to meet the Christ child, it's about a star. Or maybe some of us, as we think about the shepherds sleeping out in the fields, we envision a sky full of stars, not a cloud to be seen. It's always about stars. And in fact, we as people love stars so much that we have sort of brought them down from the skies and we have done gaudy things like this with our front yards how many of you have seen a house similar to this like the light gods just vomited all over their front lawn now here's the deal when I see a house like this I always have two competing thoughts the first is that is so cool and then the second one is show off because I look at it and I go, I, 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 I can't do that. In fact, sometimes I will go so far as to think, they've got, a, they've got a mental problem. There's something wrong with them. And all that really is, is my undiagnosed, undealt with jealousy over the fact that my house does not look like this. My house is the equivalent of Charlie Brown's Christmas tree if it were a house. Are you following me, anyone? But it's all about the stars. Way back though, before, before there was a star to lead the wise men or a cloudless sky over shepherds as they waited the announcement of the birth of Jesus, there was not a star, but there was a sky full of stars. And there's this moment when God comes to a man who's been waiting and he says, I want you to see something that is incredible. He struggled. Is there any truth to the hope, this promise that God will fulfill what he has claimed to fulfill? Can I, can I rely on it? And God comes to Abram and he says, come on, come on, come on, let's go outside. And he says, look up. Have you ever been outside on a clear night where you can see so many stars, you feel like you're going to fall into the sky? Years ago, I remember going on a trip with my family. I was about 15 years old. And we get to this place in the Midwest, out in the middle of nowhere. And my dad and I found this spot where we could lay down and look up at the sky. And because there was no man-made lights anywhere, it was just, oh, I didn't know there were so many. God comes to this man and says, you want to know how big my promise is? Just look up. Can you count them, Abram? I <laughs> know you can't. By the way, how many stars are there? Have you ever tried counting the stars in the sky? One, two, 45, 200. Wait, did I already count that one? And, and we go over, we lose track, we lose count because there are so many. In fact, people have tried to count the stars for many years. People believe there were roughly about 1,000 stars total in the sky. But then years passed, and before Galileo, we realized there were about 6,000 stars, 3,000 in the northern hemisphere, 3,000 in the southern hemisphere, and so you could see about 3,000 at any given time. Then finally, Galileo comes along with his telescope, and we learn there are like 10 times as many stars, not 3,000, but 30,000 and 30,000. But then years roll on and we learn there are more stars than that. In fact, we now know there are over 100 million stars just in our little galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. You say, is that all there are? No. In the known universe, by the way, there's parts of the universe we don't even know about, but in the known universe, there are over 2 trillion galaxies, with millions and millions and millions of stars. How many stars are there? Short answer is, we don't know. We just keep discovering new ones. You know what I love about the promise of God and why he uses stars? I love this, that as we peer more into the promise of God, like the stars in the sky, we will see more and more and more of it as we delve deeper into the beauty and the intricacies of this promise. He has begun since time began, leading us to Jesus' birth, but continues to his return. I love also that in the stars, isn't it true that you see the stars when it is at night and it is darkest? In the daytime, right now, there are the same stars in the sky, but I cannot see them, almost as though the light of what's going on around me can keep me from seeing what is already there, but it's at dark times that I need to know, and I see more clearly the bigness of my God and your God. That's the beauty of the stars in this story in the darkest times. That's when God's light and the promise shines brightest, and we need it now, don't we, church? Here's the point if you don't get anything else. Here's the singular point from this text today, is simply this. Go ahead next slide. God's promise is bigger than you can imagine. God's promise is bigger than you can imagine. You say I can imagine a lot. Yeah, but you can't imagine this in the same way you can't count the trillions, the sextillion number of stars in the universe. And all I want to do for the remainder of our time, I want to show you three things, three ways that God's promise is bigger than you can imagine. Because as we roll into Christmas, I don't want you to have a small view of God or a small view of this little baby Jesus. I want you to see in this moment the bigness of your God because only a big God can deal with the big problems facing this world. But I want to show you that His promise is bigger than you or I can imagine. Number one, if you want to write this down, God's promise is bigger than me. God's promise is bigger than you. God's promise is bigger than any one person, any one group of people. God's promise is for all people. Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abram and he begins to tell Abram all the good things he's going to do. And notice all these words in verses 1 and 2, it says this, Abram, I will make you into a great nation. Don't you know Abram loved hearing that? Oh, it's about me. I like it. And I will bless you, Abram. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. And I will make your name great. Oh God, that's that's too much. Just you, don't keep going. Don't get no, no no more. I couldn't take any more. Any of us wish life were all about us? Any of us live like life is only and always about us? Here's what you need to know. God's promise is bigger than any one person yes it is absolutely for abram but notice this next line it says this all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you what is god saying abram i will bless you but it won't stop with you i want to bless the whole world through you maybe we put it this way god's promise is not just to us it flows through us It is so big that, yes, God has given you the gift, the promise of Jesus, the promise of a home with him, the promise of forgiveness of sins, the promise of eternal life, but it is not just for you or me. By the way, how many of you have ever heard of these Name the Star websites where you can go on paying some money and a star is named after you? Any of you heard of this before? I did a little research. I was a little disappointed. Come to find out that you can have a star named after you on that one website's registry, but it doesn't actually name the star after you. Did, did you know that? Like they're not going and go, uh oh, that's no longer star number XYZ345. That's the Josh star. That's not how it works though. But isn't it interesting? We don't need a star named after us because those stars represent each one of us already. They represent the bigness of God's plan, not just to save one person or group, but to reach the world. And here's the danger. Many of us come to Christmas with a small picture of God's promise. See, you can either have a big picture promise or a small picture promise. And here's what will happen. If you think, if I think that it's just about me, then we will see other people as a problem to avoid rather than the purpose of life to reach. When we have a small view and think the story and the promise is just for me, just about me, then we will see other people as problems, as pests, as things to get around and to avoid. But God wants you and I to know that his promise is so big, they are not problems to avoid, they are people to reach with the good news of Jesus Christ. And my question, as we roll into Christmas, I I don't know about you, but for some reason, my anxiety goes up during this time of year and my peace goes way down anxiety goes up and patience goes down. Can, can I get anyone else who's honest this morning to say with me, does your patience go down during this time of year? Anyone else? Maybe you get a little more anxious this time of year. What would it look like, family, if when we face a person that is prickly, annoying, and difficult, our response is not, dear Lord, blow them up, but dear God, bless them. Dear God, there's a star that represents that person. Would you save them? Would you do whatever it takes? Would you reach into their moment? Let me be the voice of peace. Let me be the voice of kindness. Let me be the voice of grace from you to them because God, you want to do something not just for me, to me, but through me. This is the bigness of God's promise. It's not just for me it 's for all people it 's for all people everywhere that 's the first thing we see here is god 's promise is bigger than me, but second god 's promise is bigger than my timeline i 've got to be honest, this is the one I despise the most because I am not a patient person. Does anyone else just out of curiosity, does anyone else just like has mastered the ability to be patient in all circumstances? Anyone in here just like super duper patient person? I'm so glad I'm in a room full of honest people. This is awesome. I'm the guy, though, who, because of the impatience of life, I will stand in front of the microwave and question the goodness of God because there's another 30 seconds on the clock before my coffee is warm. You say, wait, you reheat your coffee? Yes, I'm a Philistine. I get it. I reheat coffee. But the point is not the coffee. The point is I am not patient. And yet, notice this. Notice this. God's promise is bigger than my timeline and your timeline as well, and bigger than Abram's timeline. Did you see how verse 1 begins in chapter 15? God has already given the promise in chapter 12, but chapter 15 begins with these words Some time later. Abram, I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you an inheritance. I'm going to give you a great name. Some time later. How later? Was it months? Did he wait years? Did he wait decades? This is an old man who recognizes that his time to have kids is probably in his past, and if not, the time is really tight. In fact, he says of his wife, and my wife is as good as dead. By the way, just as a side, gentlemen, don't ever, don't ever, don't ever refer to your wife is as good as dead when it comes to rearing children. That's just a dumb move. Don't do it. It's just not wise. But this is his situation. And in fact, he even says to God in verse 4, he says, since I remain childless, he says, I'm waiting. God, don't you you understand the timeline? Here's the reality. God did not consult Abram before he planned the timing of his promise. And God does not consult me or you with his timing, does he? In fact, he says to Abram, Abram, I'm going to give you a glimpse of what is to come, but you're not going to see the whole story it's bigger than you, and I could not show you all of it for you to grasp it. Would you just trust me that although you will not see all of it in your lifetime, it's not in your timeline, it is bigger than anything you can imagine. And so God says to him, look at the stars. It's so much bigger. I've got so much more than you can imagine. In fact, I love this. It says in verse 15 something He says, you, however, will go to your ancestors. This is God's way of saying, you will not see it all, but I'm going to give you a peek of it. And so he tells him, you're going to have kids, and they're going to be taken into Egyptian slavery, but they're going to come back. They're going to come back to this land, and they're going to get rid of the people in this land right now whose sin just continues to build up. This is a prophecy that will be fulfilled in the book of Joshua when Israelites come back to Canaan, and they get rid of the the Canaanite people who are in the area. He says, but you're not going to see all of it. Friends, are are you okay if God does not show you everything? Do you still trust him even when you don't see the full picture of what he's up to? Peace follows faith that God is really good. Peace follows knowing that God is not done yet even when you can't see the full picture. Here's the second thing you need to know is that God's promise is bigger than my timeline. And a promise, here's the point, delayed is not a promise denied. Just because God says it's not here yet doesn't mean that it won't come. You keep praying for that friend to know Christ. You keep praying to be reunited with your spouse. You keep praying for your children You keep praying for healing. You keep praying for your neighborhood. You keep praying for your school and your business. You keep praying for your city, your state, this nation, our world, because God is not done yet. A promise delayed is not a promise denied. And so, because Abram believed, he's counted as righteous. God's promise is bigger than you and me, it's bigger than our timelines. But there's something else that begins to happen here because Abram realizes that this is a pretty big promise. And, and, and he, like you and I, have watched all of the infomercials. He's seen that great ginsu knife that supposedly can cut through anything. Then he buys it and finds out it really can't. And he realizes and remembers that phrase that if it sounds too good to be true, then it is too good to be true. How many of you have ever bought something or tried something that you thought was going to be awesome only to find out that it was not as good as you expected? Anyone else here? Maybe you guys have, have made it through life without this, but there are so many things that I've tried and I realized it was not as good as I thought it would be. And so Abram, Abram goes, okay, God, this sounds too good to be true. What can you promise? What can you do? What can you help me so I can believe what you're saying is actually going to happen? so, I love this, verse 8, this is what he says. Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess the land? How can I be sure? And don't you love how God then responds in verse 9, it says this, The Lord told him, say this word with me in a moment, bring me a heifer. Woof! How does that answer the question? What can you show me, oh God? Maybe a a sign, maybe something appears. He goes, you want to know? Bring me a heifer. This sounds like something that a guy in the mafia would say right before having someone bumped off. Just bring me a heifer. He goes, okay, bring me a heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a ram and a turtle dove and a partridge in a pear tree. And a young pigeon, I mean, what is going on here? How is this a promise? How is this fulfilling what he has been asking? And to make matters worse, then notice what happens here. So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Wait, what? Is anyone else just mildly confused at this point? Let me tell you what's going on. God says, you want me to make a promise to you. You want to know that you can trust what I'm saying. All right, I will do it in a way you understand. What's that way? Okay, in the ancient world, stay with me for a moment here. In the ancient world, if you were to make a promise with another person or a covenant, a covenant's just another name for promise, you would go through a ritual called cutting the covenants. You would collect various animals, and as Abram does, you would cut each animal down the middle and lay the halves side by side. This was a very bloody, very ugly ritual. And as you would lay the pieces down, each party of the covenant would walk between the pieces as if to say, If I do not keep my side of the covenant, may what we've done to the animal be done to me. May I be torn apart. May my blood be spilt. May my life be taken. This was a serious moment of commitment to say, I am all in to this relationship. And part of the expectation was... Both parties would walk through. Now, if you were the lesser person, if it was a king and a vassal who were making this commitment, the vassal would walk through first. Sometimes even the king would just not walk through. The idea was that it's all on the lesser one to fulfill the commitment. And so he says, I'll make this promise to you, Abram. But notice what happens. Verse 12, Abram realizes there's a problem. In fact, notice what happens here. He says, as the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep Sleep. And a terrifying darkness came down over him. What is he realizing? What is happening here? Here's what's going on. Abram is seeing this set up. He's going, God's making a covenant. This is going to be set not in stone, but in flesh and blood. This is an irrevocable commitment. And he's saying, if he doesn't do this, may he die. And if I don't do this, then may. Oh no. Right now, Abram begins to think back over the life he's lived and a life he knows he will live. It will not be a perfect life. He will not fully keep the covenant, the promise of faithfulness to God. And in this moment, he sees all of his hopes and his dreams crack, shatter, and fall apart. Because he can't walk through that. If he does, he is signing his own death warrant. To walk between the pieces is to be cut off because he will fail and he will not only break covenant with God, he will lose the entire promise. Do you see why he is worried, why a great darkness comes over him? But here's the third thing I want you to see this morning. If you don't hear anything else, listen, listen, please. The promise of God, family, this is what we're about to see. The promise of God is bigger than my failure. It's bigger than me, it's bigger than my timeline, and it's bigger than my failure. You say, well, how do we know that? Why does this text show us that? Because, because, as Abram is seeing all this and the dread of what he's about to do comes on him, verse 17 and 18 tell us that he looked up and noticed what he saw, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch Now, now what is this? What does this mean? These are symbols. The Bible uses symbols to describe things that are indescribable. And throughout the scriptures, God himself is described as fire. So the Israelites are led through the wilderness at night by a great pillar of fire. When Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, it is surrounded by thunder and fire and smoke. When the Lord chose to come on his people at Pentecost, he came on them in tongues of fire. This is always the picture of God. So he sees a picture of God appearing. And Abram, in that moment, sees a flaming pot, symbolic of God, begin to go between the pieces. The greater is going before the lesser. I will set the standard. I will go before you. But see, that doesn't give Abram any peace because now it's his turn to go through and what happens on the day that he fails to keep his side of the bargain? What happens when he fails, not if? He doesn't just see, though, a fire pot. What is that next phrase? He sees a flaming torch begin to go through now a second time abram never walked through to make the covenant god goes through a second time do you understand what's being said here abram in a moment was about to sign his own death warrant He was about to be cut off from the land, the living, torn apart because he could not keep his covenant side. And God says, no, Abram, I walk through on my behalf. I am perfect and I will keep everything I've said, but now I walk through on your behalf. And you're right, someone will die for your sins because you won't make it, you'll fail. But it won't be you. In Genesis chapter 15, centuries before the birth of Jesus, God is signing the death warrant of his own son as he goes between the pieces. He sees the picture that you and I can't see. He is literally saying, I walk through and he will be snuffed out. The infinite God is made moral. The infinite, perfect God takes on our grimy sin. The perfection of heaven is not simply brought low. He is torn apart, his body broken, his blood drained out. This is a picture of what was to come. Do you see the bigness of the promise of God that you and I, you and I can't keep our side of the promise, but God says you don't have to. I will do it for you. This is the hope of Christmas. Family. This is what we are rushing towards in four weeks. It's the birth of the baby. And long before there was a little mama named Mary, there was a man named Abram who said, How do I know? Can you promise me? Can you show me? And God is saying, You can take my word to the bank because I'm banking the life of my son on it. Friends, when you wonder, Is God a promise keeper? You look to the promise that He made. And the price he paid. You look at what cost God. God says this. God promises to die so you and I can live. That is the hope of Christmas. That is what we celebrate today. That is the picture that I want you to get. It is so much bigger than you and me. It's bigger than our timelines and it's bigger than our failures. So friend, bring your failure to Jesus. He says, I'll take it on. Actually, I already did, didn't I? Hung between two thieves, Jesus died. The perfect was made broken. He was laid in a tomb. And then on the third day, he rose from the grave. Because although he died for our sins, death cannot keep him down. The promise that we are celebrating going to Christmas is a promise that was kept and will be kept when Jesus comes the second time. That's what we celebrate today. I don't know where you are this morning. I I suspect that there's some in here who, who you just need to know that God's not done yet. The story's not over. The curtain has not fallen. There are others in here you need to know that your failure, what you did not last year, but maybe last week, is no bigger than the God of the universe. He paid the price. There may be consequences, but the ultimate price has been paid for you there's some in here you just need to know that the timeline boy it's 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 just taking longer but god he's he's still at it he's working what is it that that scripture says for we know that god works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose this is what i hope you will hold on to the hope of christmas